0: The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, Jonah, What should we do to you to make the sea come down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging seas grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Wonderful. The Marvel Cinematic Universe What a way to start, Prince. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is a very interesting collection of films. Every film is an individual film in its own right, but they also kind of come together to contribute towards this meta-narrative of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And a lot of the Marvel Cinematic Universe focuses on this character, Tony Stark. He's a very interesting character. He starts off as quite a selfish character. He's very, very smart and very interested in ideas, but he's a very selfish character. And throughout the journey in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we see his progression from a selfish person into a selfless person. Where ultimately, spoiler alert, close your ears if you haven't seen Endgame, he sacrifices himself for the sake of half the universe. Sacrifices himself for the universe. Sounds like someone we know. So anyway, the Book of Jonah in a very, very concise piece of text. It's, it's, there's so much packed in it. In fact, you could kind of write a preach on just one or two verses because so much is packed in. And that's pretty much what we've done over the past few weeks. The first preach by Adam was the first two and a half verses. The second one was on the next one and a half verses. Then on two verses. Then last week on the next four verses. It's concise. And, and it seems like the reason it's concise is because it only includes details that furthers the plot in some way. With one exception in the first chapter. There's one chunk of text, one little paragraph that you can remove completely and it seems to make no difference to the progression of the narrative. And so you have to ask the question, why is it there? And so the question is, which bit of text is it? It's this little bit of text. It's the second half of verse 5 in chapter 1 to the end of verse 6. And what does it say? It says, Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, so that we will not perish. And you're like, okay, fair enough. But actually, you don't need it. You can take it out. Read the whole chapter. It makes no difference. You wouldn't even know that it wasn't there. So in some sense, if you're thinking about it this way, if you're thinking about it as a logical progression of ideas, it's somewhat unnecessary. But not only is it unnecessary, it's also just really odd. There is a storm so powerful that it threatens to break up the ship. A ship that's famous for being strong, even in the Bible. But Jonah still sleeps despite the storm. So why include this paragraph in a concise, well-written chapter when it seems unnecessary and really odd? Well, the answer is because it's a clue. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is a collection of individual films with individual narratives that contribute towards a meta narrative of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And in the same way, um, although a much more sophisticated way, the Bible is a collection of individual books that are books in their own right, in and of themselves, but they also contribute to this meta narrative of the Bible. So in Jonah, this paragraph, this little paragraph, seems unnecessary and odd. But in the Bible in the meta-narrative of the Bible, it's incredibly important because it links us into the meta-narrative. What is the meta-narrative of the Bible? It's the story about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. So we think, how does this paragraph in Jonah link us to Jesus? Well, since Jonah sleeping through a storm is odd, we'd probably notice it if this idea came up again, and it does. It absolutely does, in Jesus' life in the calming of the storm. So what happens? Jesus went on a boat with his disciples, planning to sail to the other side of the lake of Galilee. But Jesus fell asleep. Then there was a furious storm. The waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was still sleeping. The disciples woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus woke up. He rebuked the wind and the waves. And then there was calm. And in response, the disciples were in awe of Jesus. And so when you compare the stories of Jonah and Jesus side by side, you get a parallel. Here's the parallel. So you can see, for example, for Jonah, he slept on a boat despite a violent storm. He was woken by an experienced sailor pleading to be saved. And then Jonah, through his actions, calmed the storm. And the sailors responded in awe of God. And the same way with Jesus. Jesus slept on the boat despite a violent storm. He was woken by experienced sailors pleading to be saved. He calmed the storm. And then the sailors responded in awe of him. And when we get an idea like this in the Bible, it's called a type or a shadow. It's a bit like a foreshadowing. It's just like a foreshadowing. And so we would say that Jonah is like a type or a shadow of Jesus. Jesus. And this shadow idea is really helpful, because you think, what is a shadow? Well, a shadow gives you an outline of an object without seeing the object itself. So in Jonah's case, we get an outline of who Jesus is without seeing Jesus himself. You don't confuse a shadow with the real thing. If you you see a shadow of a car or a shadow of a tree, you don't think the shadow is the car or the shadow is the tree. You know it's cast by an object. So with Jonah's case, we see this parallel to Jesus, but we don't, confio- we don't confuse Jonah with Jesus. And finally, the shadow points you to the person casting it. Jonah's life, this parallel, points us to Jesus. So the similarities to connect us to Jesus, but it's in the differences that we understand the distinctiveness of Jesus. And this is really interesting because we hear in the church all the time, you know, God is good, his death, Jesus' death and resurrection, his death on the cross, his resurrection after three days, it's really important, it's central, it's massive. And sometimes we can kind of know that in our heads, but we don't always feel it in our hearts. But this parallel between Jesus and Jonah reveals so much about who Jesus really is. You look at Jonah, Jonah slept on the boat in a condition of sin. He disobeyed God. He was called to preach against the great city of Nineveh, but he didn't do it. So he got on a boat at Joppa, the port of Joppa, and sailed for Tarshish. He slept on the boat in a condition of sin. But Jesus slept on the boat in a condition of perfection. The sinless saviour, Messiah, Jesus, King. Jonah was woken by an experienced sailor, asking him to appeal to a higher power. But Jesus was woken by experienced sailors, that's the disciples, asking him to intervene personally. Jonah calmed the storm in obedience by God, in obedience to God, by, jumping, by being thrown off the ship and going into that big fish for three days and three nights. But Jesus calmed the storm because He is God. The sailors responded in awe of the invisible God with Jonah. After Jonah was thrown off the ship, the sailors worshipped God because they'd seen His mighty works, but He was invisible to them. But in Jesus' case, the sailors responded in awe of the visible God. So we know that Jesus is perfect, he intervenes personally, he is God, and he's a visible representation to God. Brilliant. But there's a problem. There's another problem. You think, if you were trying to create a parallel like this in the Bible, if you were trying to design it, you'd want the two stories to be as similar as possible to each other, to highlight the parallel as much as as possible. But there is, this isn't the case in the story of Jonah and Jesus. There's one critical difference. And this comes to the calming of the storm. It's not the same. And it's all in the details. So what happens? Sailors ask Jonah what to do about the storm. You'd think the easiest solution to this is Jonah prays to God, says sorry for his sins, and God calms the storm. And that's the closest parallel to the story we get in Jesus. But that's not what happens. The sailors ask Jonah what to do about the storm, and Jonah says, pick me up, throw me into the sea, it will be calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And this seems kind of odd. It doesn't seem like the easiest solution, and it also seems like a strange solution. So we've got the easiest solution. Jonah prays, says sorry, storm calms, sailors row back to Joppa. Jonah gets on his way that seems like the easiest solution to the problem why does he have to go over the ship and do all this fish business just go back on the boat that you came on back to the port why does it have to be this way well it seems like there was no option of rowing back we see this in verse 13 it said instead the men did their best to row back to land but they could not because the sea grew even wilder so you think what's the restriction it seems like Jonah has to get off the boat now But surely the next easy solution is Jonah jumps. Why does he need to be thrown off by the sailors at all? And that's a really interesting point because the sailors, they don't even want to throw Jonah off. In fact, they're really feeling uncomfortable about about it. It says in verse 14, they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, you have done as you please. They don't want to do it. If Jonah needs to get in that water, why can't Jonah just jump? Why does it have to be this way? What's going on here? The sailors have to throw Jonah over the board of the ship. But why? It seems like there's something really important going on, this way, going on here. It has to be this way. It makes the parallel less similar. It's odd. It's difficult. But the answer must be important. So let's think back. What's the meta narrative of the Bible? It's Jesus. So can we find some sort of connection with Jesus that helps us to understand the difference in this parallel? Well, we can. Because Jesus directly links himself to Jonah. This is in Matthew 12, verses 38 to 40. And maybe this can help us to understand. So what happens? The scribes and the Pharisees ask Jesus for a sign. And Jesus says, you're not getting a sign. You've had many signs. Is the subtext. But what he says is, because just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea creature for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So what do we learn? Jesus directly links himself to Jonah. He says there's a parallel between them. It's not the parallel of the storm, even though the parallel of the storm is legitimate and important, but it's a parallel between Jesus' death and resurrection. It seems like Jesus is saying that Jonah being in the fish for three days and three nights parallels him being in the tomb for three days and three nights. So you think, fine. But what does that have to do with Jonah being thrown off the edge of a ship? I'm going to say that the parallel is actually wider than just the three days and the three nights. We see that at the end, when Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights, he gets vomited out by the fish. And that seems to represent Jesus' resurrection. So that kind of parallels. But then what happens if we go backwards? Well just before Jesus was in the tomb for three days and three nights he was crucified on the cross what happened to Jonah before he was in the fish for three days and three nights he was thrown off the boat surely that's not similar at all well actually it is it's deeply profoundly similar here's the parallel Jonah knew that obedience to God was the standard this is what he needed to do He needed to obey God's calling to go and preach against the city of Nineveh. But he sinned. He disobeyed God. His heart was in an attitude of sinfulness. And the penalty for sin is death. We know this from Paul. But Jonah had a heart of love. Maybe mixed motives. It's not not obvious that everything that he was was good. But he had love enough for his sailors that he knew he would sacrifice himself for their sake so that they could be safe, so the storm could die down for them and the sea would be calm. He sacrificed himself. It's a substitutionary sacrifice. He died in their place. And as a result, they were saved. And this sounds a lot like Jesus. Jesus says obedience to him is the standard. The standard is perfection. But we are sinful. And we know the penalty for our sin is death. But God is a loving God. And so Jesus came as a substitutionary sacrifice for ourselves. He died in our place so that we could be saved. And just like in the previous examples, it's in the differences that we see just how profoundly brilliant Jesus is. So Jonah was commanded by God to preach against the city of Nineveh, and Jesus commanded us to be perfect, as His Father in heaven is perfect, as the Sermon on the Mount. Jonah disobeyed God's command. And we've disobeyed Jesus' command. Jonah deserves the penalty of death. We deserve the penalty of death. Jonah acted in love towards his shipmates. Jesus acted in love towards us. Jonah gave himself up as a substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus gave himself up. Jonah saved his shipmates. Jesus saved us. Substitutionary, sacrificial love. There's something deeply, profoundly powerful about that kind of love for us as people, and I think that's what makes Tony Stark's sacrifice at the end of Endgame so profound. He died on behalf of others so that they could be saved. And you see this idea in pop culture again and again and again and again, and it's always the most profound, emotional, like, ooh moments. Here's an example, Titanic, Jack and Rose. I'm not gonna talk about how much room there was in that door, Jack could've got on the door. Never mind. Jack died to save Rose. And that's powerful. That's a really powerful image. And we get it again in films like Gravity. George Clooney's character, whatever his name is. He let go of the rope in space so that Sandra Bullock's character could be saved. Substitutionary sacrifice. Powerful. Batman. He risks his life. He even loses his life at the end to save Gotham substitutionary sacrifice, most powerful kind of love. There's something about us that just connects with it. And we see this in the world too. You think of two children sharing their lunch with each other and you just want to kind of just get very happy about it. You think of someone's child looking after their mum in her old age. That's real love. That's deep. That's profound love. And this is particularly relevant for Adam at the moment. The parent looking after their child. They give up all their time, all their energy. It's not easy. I haven't been through it myself yet. But it's difficult. But it's a sacrifice. Parents sacrifice themselves for their children. And it seems to be the most profound kind of love. And we find this idea in the Bible too. It says in John 15 verses 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life. For one's friends. It is the deepest,
1: most profound
0: form of love. So what does Jesus command us to do as disciples? He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And in Romans we get Paul saying, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Sacrificial love for God, not for us. We give it all to him. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So finally, what does Jonah teach us? We learn that he acted out of sacrificial love towards his shipmates. And this points us to Jesus, both in terms of the parallels that we can see in the text, but also in the way that he acted, it caused the sailors to worship God in response. His actions, his substitutionary sacrifice. Pointed to Jesus. And as a result, the sailors worship God. So, how should we live? We should live a life of substitutionary sacrifice. That's what we're called to do. This is our true and proper worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. We sacrifice our lives to God because we know that's that's just how we're designed to be. That's the best thing we can do with our lives. And as a disciple, we sacrifice our time our energy, our money, our commitments. We commit to helping others in need, both fellow Christians and those out there in the world. And what happens when we do this? When we do this, when we sacrifice, people feel it. Because it is such a powerful form of love. And then perhaps they ask, why are you doing this? And we can point them to Jesus, the true saviour, the purest, the ultimate form of love. And as a result, perhaps we can encourage people to follow Jesus. This is a model of evangelism. Substitutionary sacrifice points to Jesus, brings people to God. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you. Thank you so much for what you've done for us. We don't deserve it. We've sinned. We deserve your judgment. But we thank you so much for Jesus dying on the cross for us so that we could be saved. And we want to worship you, God. Help us to sacrifice, to make the sacrifices we need to in order to do what you have called us to do, to be a model of your substitutionary, sacrificial love in the world today so that we can point people to Jesus. And bring more people into your kingdom. More sons and daughters of Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen.